Hi, Valentina. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Hey, Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? Um, we were just both talking about the frantic uh, setup thing of every I've been in all I've wanted for the last year is to have some kind of like permanent setup where I can just start either streaming or recording a roll or have like one go to setup that's just ready to go. I've been taking little baby steps towards it, but I still end up scrambling Every time every I time. try to use it, every time. but you get, you seem like you're pretty set up for, on your end. No, oh. absolutely not. I've been live streaming weekly okay. for over a year <laughs> and today was also a struggle. I think it's because both of us are completely overkill on our cameras. You're on the C70. I'm on the a7S three and I use my camera for my job for my, for work. So I, li- I literally ran in here today and then set it on the tripod that I have here and then realized, oh, snap, I was using my mic. I was using my recorder. Got to go get those, put them in. I was also using the, um, I got to, thank God I got another one. I was using a capture card. Got a second capture card so one can live here for forever. But yeah, it's a mad dash every single time. Yeah, no, same boat. I mean, the the this camera is like the working camera. So I've been threatening to buy a cheap, little one that can just live here like maybe um sony a6500 and it's just my my streaming camera because i don't think you can tell the difference they look great but yeah well it I all depends on the lens too just so. haven't done it oh for sure and most people's streaming set like our standards are pretty low but for a, a lot of people here uh you are only listening to this so you can't see what we're talking about anyway but if you want to head over to youtube.com slash stallman podcast and you can uh, check it out, but you should also check out Valentina if you don't already know her work. So Valentina, I know you from your fantastic little film school segments with Aperture. That's where I have seen you the most, but you also run a full-on freelance cinematography and directing career. You're based in LA. You do great work, but that's all I really know about you because like, we don't know each other that much. So I'd love to hear more about how you actually work, like what kind of projects you're working on lately and and what you're into other than what I've seen on YouTube. Yeah, I think it's YouTube is just such a small smidge of what I do. Uh, I'm mainly a commercial director. Uh, so I direct campaigns for brands and companies all over the world. I've directed a TV show for Discovery. I've directed two seasons of a TV show for Flickr and Fujifilm. Um, and I, I direct campaigns. I've directed for for Nike, for Dell, for Fuji, for MTV. Like the list goes on and on. So that's that's my main thing. And then I also am Aperture's resident pro cinematographer. So I do the four minute film school tutorials on the Aperture channel, which is I feel like how most people know me. Um, which is fine because I love Aperture and I love doing those tutorials. And I also teach for Adobe as well. I do the Adobe Live. I also do all of their conferences and all that jazz. A lot more because of COVID. I've been doing a lot more educational content. But now that now that the world is opening up, the phone cannot stop ringing. Like today I booked three jobs. So Awesome. Yeah. Uh, it, it, things have been getting busier in my world too. Thankfully, getting back sort of onto realish sets again. Um, but no, that's awesome to hear how, like how much you're doing that is kind of invisible to any of us that just watch for tutorial stuff. And we end up kind of in a, the same boat where it's like, it's, it's so much easier to, this is almost like a sad truth about YouTube. Sometimes it's like, it's easier to get people to watch like gear videos or, right. or teaching people them than to watch the the final thing. Like oh, when we do, percent commercial work nobody sees it and if they did they wouldn't care because they're like it's just another commercial i just i skip commercials all day long like why would you why would you want to show me a commercial uh yeah so, which is yeah, fine it's i like, understand yeah. but people are always like i just posted i created a diy teleprompter for one of my uh shoots that i did this week and people were like you should make a video about how to create a diy teleprompter and in my mind i'm like the amount of money that somebody hires me for to make a video for them that that amount yeah. of time to make a YouTube video about how to make a teleprompter, that would be mm-hmm. wasted time for me. Like there would be no upside to that. But of course, I don't say that. I'm just like, no, it's okay. I won't make one. It's fine. But it's like, yeah, no, there's no upside to me making a tutorial about how to make a teleprompter. Um, but people well, don't know. So- people don't see that. People are just like, well, she's out on YouTube, like making cinematography tutorials. So she must want to be a YouTuber, all this stuff, which is totally fine. There's people who want to be YouTubers, but people don't know. People don't know. So I appreciate you having me on. 
Well, a weird thing with a lot of the YouTubers I bring on is they're excited to drop their regular clients. Um, I think, uh, you know, maybe it's because a lot of them start in weddings. Like that's, you know, such a common place to start working in terms of video and photo. And it also is a place that everybody seems to, not everybody, but too, too many people, I think kind of look down on and they feel like it's where you start and then you leave it. Um, And a lot of people seem to feel like that with commercial work as well. And to me, like for me, anyway, commercials, what I love that we do, like that's one of my favorite things to do. And I don't want to stop doing it even if YouTube does great, like, which, you know, I, I love YouTube. Like I really enjoy it, but having both is such a relieving balance. Um, so I, agree. I don't know. And I was I'd hate to have one, not the other. With your stuff, because for Aperture stuff, I mean, I come up with the ideas and concepts and I host it, but then they produce and they edit on the back end. I don't have to do any of that. How do you deal with your stuff? Well, I'm very lucky to have Marco, who's helping us produce right now. Uh, he has come on as an editor this year, so I've had help that is incredibly helpful. So that, uh, yeah, like, the, the, so what it's allowed us to do because the rest of my business I'm running with my wife. So, like this week, for example, at the beginning of the week, Marco and I shot some A roll clips for the YouTube channel, and he's been editing that while I've been shooting the commercial stuff with my wife. Um, and then we kind of come together at the end, and it gets finished. But when he's not around, it was like one thing at a time. And, um, you know, we kind of, we had to delay projects more, put on longer timelines, which probably meant we're able to take on less total work. So yeah, it's been great having that help. Yeah. But I think you're also working like a thing I was, uh, that I kind of wanted to talk about today is like the different levels that, that people work at in terms of cinematography. And I, I feel like that world is evolving more quickly then conversations about it are able to catch up with. So for example, a lot of our jobs are like, um, you know, we're just the, you know, there's the us doing like direction cinematography and we have a few assistants um, and an editor and, you know, hair and makeup. And that's like the whole, that's our whole crew pretty often. And a lot of the traditional education um, up until now, which I, f- I feel like is changing, especially with the channels like what, what you're doing with Aperture. They used to really tar- – they're assuming, they're like, okay, eventually you're going to be on a big set. Like maybe you're doing small stuff now, but of course you're working towards something bigger. And I feel like it's become much more common for people to run a, a lifetime worth of business – uh, having these smaller sets, like you can have a full career where you are never working on teams bigger than 10 people. Um, 100%. and of course the, the bigger side is still going to exist. And I think that you work in both of those worlds, depending on the project, but I don't know, like yeah. what's the vibe for you of where that's at right now? I feel like as far as the education goes, uh, the education up till now on YouTube has been very like one man band kind of stuff. And that's how the Aperture channel started as well, teaching one-man band stuff, because the thinking was, we're afraid to push the envelope and teach more advanced techniques or teach techniques for bigger sets, because people, most people aren't on those sets, right? But just like you said, it's aspirational. A lot of the time, the technique that we're teaching with bigger lights, with five assistants, that's a lesson that you can take into your own life. And there are a lot of people, there are a lot of cinematographers who are doing these smaller productions. I mean, think about it. Every company uh, used to go to a marketing agency, right? And then have the marketing agency create their photography and video. Now, more and more companies are creating in-house marketing and in-house video teams. So not only are cinematographers and editors um, being swooped up by marketing agencies, but they're literally being swooped up by the companies themselves. So there's a limitless, like it's growing exponentially, I think, the amount of people who require cinematography education, who are trying to do this full-time, who are doing this full-time. You could be a local cinematographer in like Kansas and make bank making real estate videos. And that could be like your whole life. And you could just be happy doing that. And that is awesome. And because we have this democratization of gear, doing those real estate video and videos in Kansas can be epic and amazing. And you can go as hard as you want into making whatever your genre is look incredible. Like if you just did corporate videos, like interviews, uh, 10 years ago, 
there was a very low ceiling on on how those could look. You know, like you, they they could not be cinematic. You weren't be you weren't going to have motion, uh, camera motion. You weren't going to have cinematic lighting. Your lights are going to be small and hot, and there's no shallow depth field and on and, and there's no dynamic range, like well, on and on and on. Like you just videos. couldn't make it look nice. When yeah. wedding videos started out, it was all on like camcorders and handy cams. And then people s- switched to shooting weddings on DSLRs. And now you have people like Jason Magbanua out from Manila, who's like flying all over the world, charging like tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to bring an entire team out to a giant wedding. And then he's actually, he pioneered the same day edit for weddings, which now all wedding videographers hate him because he did it. So now everyone has to do it. Painful. But look, it's just, it's a guy in the Philippines, in Manila, who now makes Mm -hmm. these epic wedding films and became famous for them. Like, that's incredible. Yeah, the, the pep talk from that is like, if you think that you're you're stuck doing weddings, it's like, you're just not, I mean, I hate to say, but you're not trying hard enough because like weddings can be so much. It, you can bring yourself to, you know, best in the world documentary filmmaking status in terms of like storytelling and visuals. And you can, you can make anything you want because you have, you basically have free models in front of you. Uh, A story is presenting itself. And since it's a bit of a formula, every time you shoot a wedding, you can take very specific notes of like, Oh, I should have like hit this timing better. I should have had my mic placement closer here. It would have been worth bringing my own lights for this part of the ceremony. Ba, ba, ba. Like you really can uh, start to evolve your method for tackling that exact type of storytelling so that if you do it for five years, 10 years, uh, 20 years, you can become incredible. And I feel like whatever the itch is you're trying to scratch by doing filmmaking, you're going to be able to find it in all of the different types of work that are readily available, like weddings and commercials and like, so true. You can take it so far now. We've got a brand new sponsor on the podcast. Very excited to bring on MixKit, which is a new service that I wasn't aware of until they reached out, but I'm very glad that I found it because it is right up my alley. And it's definitely something that you want. If you are a filmmaker or creator, you're going to be visiting that site soon. And that's because MixKit provides free assets that you can download and use in your projects. And they have a whole bunch of different stuff. They have high quality stock video clips, music tracks, video templates for After Effects, Premiere Pro, Final Cut Pro, and DaVinci Resolve. And they also have sound effects. And all of that is free. You can just use it in your project. That's it. It's it's just ridiculously simple. I didn't even understand the first time I logged on. I was like, okay, well, where do I pay for it? But you don't, you don't pay for it. It's great. You can just download these things and use them in your next project. There's no attribution required and they have a constantly growing library with new video assets being added all the time. So whatever your next project is, whatever it is that you need. So that might be B-roll or promotional videos, website backgrounds, social posts, or just to like, you know, practice video editing or YouTube videos, whatever you're doing, they have clips for you. You can download clips in a whole bunch of different categories, including cities, travel, drone shots, stunning nature clips, and much, much more. And the free video templates are customizable files, including transitions, title screens, lower thirds, and even YouTube templates. But thank you, MixKit, for supporting the show. I had a job where I was doing um, makeup videos for a few years. I was doing cinematography on makeup videos. And there's only so far you can make a makeup video, right? There's foundation, eye, lip. Like, come on. But, you know, I was I was doing, okay, let's let's shoot like a completely separate cinematic intro. Let's make live graphics appear on the screen. Let's get painted backgrounds. Let's do like a crazy 360 shot with effects. Like, and that's what I found happiness in. It wasn't necessarily that I love makeup or that I care about new products. Like, sure, we had a list of products we had to show off in each video to make sponsors happy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that part doesn't matter. It's it's the format that mattered. It's the innovation on the cinematography end that mattered. And I think you, you can find that in everything. And you can, you, can, you can become better through just practice, practice, practice. Well, and you're doing that for uh, Michelle Fan, is that right? Yes, yes. Which is like the best place to be. I mean, that's pretty amazing as, as a an opportunity to create 
you know, to elevate a category and everybody's going to see it because it's, you know, she's just like one of the biggest channels. So the whole world is going to be, um, you, you know, you're not just doing it for nobody. Like, uh, even with a wedding, right. Let's say like in a, a big wedding, uh, a few hundred people will ever see it, but those videos were seen by, you know, I'm sure everyone was a, over a million views. And, um, yeah, I mean, like, I, all those things have just been able to progress so far, even like tech videos, even podcast videos, like it all can be as cinematic and good as you decide to push it into being. Yeah. Um, and people so. always ask me, like, how do you find the clients to make something cinematic, right? Because maybe you're stuck in this hole where you're making weddings for a certain like tier of budget and you want to go up to that next tier. And it's all about like, you got to up your skills first. You got to want to up your skills to a point where you can start charging more. And then those clients that can't pay above a certain grade, they just won't hire you. But guess what? New clients will, and you'll make a higher, you know, you'll, you'll up your clients. Just like I did with my commercial stuff, starting out shooting no budget commercials by myself, then started getting a crew now I'm getting like bigger budgets. Now I'm shooting campaigns. Now I'm shooting TV shows. For you, did you have any sort of like general strategy to move towards clients that you wanted to work with so that, you know, you're, you're getting closer and closer to that goal? It could be a monetary goal where you're trying to get bigger clients, or it could just be that you're shifting the type of work that you're doing. Maybe you're shifting from wedding to commercial. And my advice is always do the thing that you want to do be doing that, right? If you want to increase the cinematic output of your videos, then do that because clients will find you based on things that you've already done. So something that I wanted to do a few years ago, when was this? This was like 2013-ish is I got turned down for a gig to shoot all the videos for Air New Zealand for like their whole new campaign for Air New Zealand, all the videos for their planes and everything. Um, and I was being pitched by a marketing agency to Air New Zealand, didn't win the pitch, asked why. They were like, you don't have enough travel in your reel. So literally the same day I booked a two-week trip to Europe. I shot every single day. I created like the sickest travel video. And I have like, except for COVID, except for 2020, I have barely set foot in the United States. <laughs> like I've been just traveling nonstop. But it's because I, I took that initiative and because I knew what I wanted. And most people are just who ask for advice. They're just like, I want to shoot this and this, but I don't know. Or I want to write films. And I'm like, that, that's the thing when people are like, I want to write films. Okay. Like we're friends. I direct and shoot. Do you have a short film? Like, let's make it happen. I have equipment. Let's do it. And people are like, no, I don't have a script. It's like, Come on, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, yeah. Get with it. No, I, I was experiencing a, like a smaller normal life version of this recently. Um, my nephew is applying for his first job. So he's, you know, teenager hasn't had like a, 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 a crappy job yet at a gas station or wherever it is he's going to end up working. And um, so we were just kind of like coaching him through, uh, you know, what, to, like how to act in the interview and things to say. And I was realizing like, you know what? Job interviews, especially at that kind of lower level, are so much easier than I ever realized when I was young because, like, most people just sort of stumble in there and they're like, oh, yeah, like, I guess, I guess I'd like to work here. Like, I guess I like ice cream. I guess I like gasoline or whatever it is you're trying to sell. And <laughs> I'm like, like, man, gasoline. now that I'm older, it's like, it's just so easy to just be like, oh, no, I, I love ice cream. Like, I, there's nothing I want to do more that, like, this is my passion is to scoop ice cream for people. And I've just, I've been a fan of your company for so long and I would, I would just love to be here. And I'm like, it took me so long to realize that, like, just by telling people that you really want the thing, like, I would love to do this with you, is, mm -hmm. that's like the whole game, whatever it is. And that, that scales is up like that. It seems like the most impossible hurdle when you're young or it did to me anyway. I didn't know how to get a job when I was a teenager. Um, and now that I figured it out, I'm like, man, I wish I could go like replay those moments. I could have, instead of working at ESSO, I could have been at the HMV or I don't know, like something cool. It like, translates to social media too. It's like, you have to be on social media who you want to be, not necessarily who you are. So when people are asking me to like, Hey, can I be your assistant? Um, okay, like, let me check out their social media. I go to their social media. It's just like photos of their dog. I'm like, well, 
I have no proof that yeah, you can be totally. my assistant. Yeah. But if it, if it's them, even if they're just taking photos with their iPhone, but they're well composed, they have like a little light on them or whatever. I'm like, okay, this person's like trying something. This person is at least yeah. paying attention to the way that they're coming across. Yeah, no, completely. I mean, well, and a uh, Marco, you should have a microphone. Marco's uh, listening to us right now and working on this, but he did exactly that. So kudos to you, Marco. Uh, he just like wrote me a cold email when I was a smaller channel That's too. Awesome. And he's just like, um, you know, I'd love to help you out in some way. And I was like, cool. I don't really have anything for you now. And then he wrote back later. Like that was probably the biggest thing is yeah. he was like, no worries. And then got back to me. And I had something for him then. I was like, you know what? If you could just help me with this one thing, it'd be really great. And now yes. here we are. It's been like three or four years later. And now he's working for us almost full time. And um, like, so there are a lot of people, not again, everybody, I'm not, I, we don't have room to hire anyone else. So I don't want to get a bunch of emails that we're hiring. But I'm just saying, if you're looking to do something like that, being, yes. first of all, being respectful of the person's time that you're reaching out to, and then following up, you know, just being like, I actually do want to do this. And when there's yes. room, I, I'm still interested. Yeah, I, I d didn't realize until I became this person, because I used to be the person reaching out, right? Now I'm the person people reach out to. And I didn't realize that I get hundreds of like DMs and messages and tweets and texts and emails every day. And there, it's just impossible to read all of them. And so if you reach out again, then I, okay, mm -hmm. like, I, I see that you are actually actively trying to get my attention. And that's a good thing. And about the respecting time, that's also important. Like, don't write me a whole paragraph, lead up to your question, ask me your question, make it succinct. Or don't just write, hey, how are you? And wait for me to respond before you ask your question. Oh, I'm yeah, never going to respond. I, I have the, <laughs> I have the, the worst one, which is, incredibly common. So everybody listening has probably written somebody this and I have at different points. Don't open with, can I ask you a question? Especially yes. if that's all that you write. Like when I get messages that are just like, can I ask you something? It's like, do I need to respond and say like, yeah, that's okay. You can ask me a question. I mean, you just like, did. Like, you already like, asked me a yes, question. Now sir, I'm answering I it. am just <laughs> waiting for you to ask me this question. I would love just, to be your tech support person. I would just love ask that. the question. And just if I have time, I'll answer it. And if I don't have time, you'll know the answer <laughs> to whether you can ask one tricky thing so. about being a cinematography instructor and an editing instructor on socials is that people do treat me like tech support. And mm -hmm. like, don't get me wrong, I will answer those questions as many as I can as often as I can. But you got to ask it. You can't just be like, can I ask you a question? I get that all the time. Right. It's so annoying. What, what are common or what, what are some good questions you've had asked you as well? And, and by the way, uh, anybody watching the live version, you can ask questions in the chat that we will circle back to at the end of this episode. So, but what, like, what, what do people ask you that's, you think is like a good thing for them to ask that actually you can help them with? Some good questions are, um, like my reasoning behind a particular thing. I, if I see that you've paid attention to something I've said and you're asking for clarification on that, that's a good thing, right? Because I know that you already know what I'm talking about. So if you're like, um, hey, I was just wondering why you pancaked your timelines instead of dragging from the source bin. I'm like, great. Like, let me, let me tell you why. Um, the worst kind of stuff is um, when, when people are like, what's your favorite camera? Or like, what camera should I buy? Or what light should I get? I get, what light should I get? All the time. People are like, what light should I get? And I, I, I did respond at first because, you know, I like to be nice. And I'm like, well, what are you shooting? You know, what kind of things will you, are you planning to shoot? What is your budget? People don't tell you these things when they ask, what light should I get? They just ask, what light should I get? I'm like, what, what are you shooting? What is your budget? And then I would like recommend them a lighting package. But now it's just so frequent that I just don't have the time to respond to everyone and build lighting packages for them. So I hope that, yeah, you sure. know, they can go to the videos and watch them instead. Yeah. I mean, that well, that's so common as well. It's like the question is something that would be a video. It's like, I don't have six hours to make a 
six minute video for you to answer this, but, uh, right. you know, ho- hopefully I will someday and keep an eye on the channel. Um, but yeah, like I, cause I, I get questions like that too, of like, you know, what, what, what should my first lens be or whatever? And of course, then yeah. you gotta be like, okay, well tell me everything about yourself. Cause I don't want to give you the wrong answer. Um, but I also may not have the time to invest. So if you, if you want to reach out to somebody that has the expertise that, um, could, I mean, cause like, yeah, like specific tech questions, there are things that I could be helpful with, but if you can construct your question in a way that you're, that whoever you're asking it to can answer with just a few words, you're so much more likely to get a response. And it doesn't matter who the person is like, as long as they read the message, um, it can be people much more famous. I mean, that's not really what I mean, much more like anybody, anybody that if if you can get your message in front of them and it's really easy for them to respond, you can get responses from like anybody, especially on Twitter. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Um, It's true. I mean, I, sometimes people are like, uh, what frame rate were you shooting that this clip at? And they like, send me the clip and I'm like, easy 60. And then I just send like (laughs) 60 and it's so easy for me to respond to that. Um, and like, I hope that people know that when I'm responding to these things with like one word or two words, it's not, it's not because I don't, I I don't want to write out, Oh, thank you so much for your question. I really appreciate it for this shot. I was, you know, it's just time. We've got another sponsor this week and it's, well, it's you, if you want to be, I've got some LUTs and Lightroom presets that are available for sale. So if you want to edit things the same way that I do, in fact, one of the LUTs is on the video that this podcast is being shown in. So if you like what you see, you can download that film emulation as well as three different Canon log transforms that I use all the time. And then there are also all of my Lightroom presets that I also use all the time. And if you download that Lightroom package, there's also a very extensive, intensive, in-depth training tutorial that I did that you can't find anywhere else. It's like 30, 40 minutes long, where I just show you my whole Lightroom process. All that's available for 20 bucks for the Lightroom pack, 10 bucks for the LUTs. Super simple. It's a way you can support the show or not. I'll do more tutorials showing you how to do it yourself. So you don't need to buy anything if you don't want to. But if you feel like it, go to selfie, S-E-L-L-F-Y dot com slash Stallman, or hit that link in the show notes. And thanks to you guys for supporting the show. So what let's talk about as well, like to skip people having to ask questions as well. What is like advice that you find yourself giving regularly? Like it, when you're just talking to people that are getting started, um, do you have any sort of like broad, like this is, this is usually uh, good steps to take when you're relatively early on in a filmmaking career. Uh, you sort of can't go wrong if you follow X, Y, and Z well, piece what of is, advice. What, what are those, what, what are those pieces of advice that you tell people? I'm actually curious. Um, a lot of the time, I think people spend, um, they spend a lot more time focused on, you know, gear and technique, which is required. And like, I, I care about those things. Cause, um, I think you, you have to, you have to understand your tools and you have to, um, know how to use them to, to really create great work. But, um, what most people are missing is taste is just recognizing when your work looks great. Um, because there's, you know, there's just so much stuff I see that is like, technically there is nothing wrong here. Like you did, you did all of the, you checked all the boxes, uh, you're shooting at the right shutter speed relative to your frames per second. And you're, uh, you know, you slapped some NDs on there and the white balance is right. And you put a nice LUT on or whatever, but like in the end it's, it, it doesn't look like work that you want to spend a lot of time watching, you know? And, and I struggle with this too. I mean, I've done so much stuff that I look back and I'm like, man, it's so obvious that I was just trying to execute on something technical in this moment. And I didn't have any sense of a bigger picture. And a great example of this actually that, um, I've, I've been able to recognize more as, uh, I worked with like, cause my wife's background was in fashion. So I ended up doing all this fashion stuff that, um, I don't know anything about, or I didn't know anything about fashion until I started shooting it. And I started realizing that so many, so many photographers think of fashion photography as like as a photography style, and that's just all of a sudden you have to change your mindset to that. Right. Like, no, it's about whatever's on the other side of the lens. It's not about you. It's not about your photography. Like, you have to be stop being so self involved. It's about what you're 
sharing with the world? Like, what are you showing them? And then like, how can you show it in an interesting way or in the clearest way or the, you know, an original way? Like, um, but, uh, having some perspective of like, what are you shooting? Why are you shooting it? I think it's something that is harder to develop and, and less people become good at. I don't know. That's my, that's my long way. Yeah, I, like, I feel like, uh, something that I see a lot in people's work and people's reels is just a pretty person in a space, right? Just like a woman walking through a field, a man walking through a house, just looking around and that's when I think, you know, usually it's, it's beautiful people. And so I kind of think when I see those shots, take the beautiful person out of it, right? Replace the beautiful person with just like a blob, like an amorphous blob. Is it still a good shot? Or is it like a pretty shit shot? And mm -hmm. uh, you just have a beautiful person who's pulling a lot of that for you. A lot of times also shooting in log, shooting in cinematic modes with high dynamic range, you can get away with a lot. Images can look great if they're not lit at all. You know, um, if there's no, uh, if there's no reason why you're doing a camera move, if there's no reason to, to the story, it could still look really, really good and people get away with it. You know, people just buy like a, like a really high dynamic range camera, um, and they got a really beautiful person in front of the lens and then they shoot. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow. Right. So I try to, I try to take that away and I try to look at, okay, what's the purpose of the shot? What's the reason for the shot? What is the pacing of this? What is the lighting doing? Um, and that's sort of how you build that professionalism. I'll give you an example. The other day, um, my producer's like, what camera do you want? We can get a C70, we can get a Komodo, you can shoot on your own. And I'm like, okay, but how much production design did we budget for this shot? And he's like, well, none. And I'm like, can you take all of the camera <laughs> rental fee and put it into production design? I'll shoot it on my camera, but I have to have something to shoot. It can't just be a person mm -hmm. in a blank room. Yeah, so I think that's, that's one of the what, most commonly missed things, especially on like the lower budget commercials is like, there, you know, any sense of like pre-production, art direction, um, you know, even going further back to like the building a concept that's worth shooting, that's those yeah. most fundamental things get skipped the most on the, as the budget gets smaller. And I kind of understand why too, because those are also things that are harder to hire for at a low budget. I mean, a lot of that pre-production stuff when it's done by an agency, like it's not a lot of agencies that are doing like $2,000 jobs or like, you know, right. oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll write a script and do a, uh, do all of your storyboards for a thousand bucks. Like, so that's why it gets skipped, but it's, it's so essential. And when you can have a great concept and some great talent in, in our direction that comes together for something lower budget, that's when you get, you know, miracles, like it makes me think of uh, like dollar shave club was a great example of it where it's like simple concept and the video goes massively viral. And there's so many of those, right. Where it's like good idea for an ad, not hard to execute. And everybody loves it because the concept. Yeah. Dollar shave club really pioneered that like uh founder talking into the camera for a long take, walking through a lot of rooms situation. And it's, it's almost like <laughs> yeah, they started a new done trend. so many times. Yeah. Yeah. I completely forgot what I was going to say earlier. So that's fun. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> that's all right. We'll just keep talking over each other until it, uh, until it works. Um, Wait, what were you, what did you say right, right before you, you mentioned Dollar Shave Club? I feel like I had something low budget commercials cut out. Oh, the, yes. Uh, agencies. Yes. I was saying because most of those low budget things are done by one person and most people who are taking on, you know, the, that those many hat jobs, they're focusing exclusively on camera. That's it. Right. And they yep. don't have that background in production design. They don't even think about the production design because they're like, well, I need, I need this lens rental and I need this and this and that. And they don't really look at the full thing. And also what you were saying, the reason to shoot, that is my first question to a new client or to a new project that I work on with a client. What is your goal? That's the thing right. I ask. And if their goal, I, I literally have heard someone say to diversify our content slate as the goal. And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> there has to be a reason uh, why you're making that. a video, right? There has to be a yeah, reason right. why this isn't a newsletter or a photo. 
it's a motion mm-hmm. thing. It needs to have yeah. a reason for being in motion. Same reason that I'm always pushing like, no, there's lots of reasons to shoot on phones as well. Sometimes a phone will tell your story better than all the best gear in the world. Um, what, 100%. what are some examples when you feel like the gear matters? Like what gear is worth say investing in if you're purchasing it or um, like starting to push your budget into um, like what makes the real difference in terms of the tech? Wow. Well, almost no gear matters. I would say something, something that actually matters. I mean, sound is incredibly important and that is something that a lot of camera people don't think about, but Um, you know, it's expensive to hire a sound operator on every single shoot. What if you're doing, you know, just a a very simple interview, right? Having a lav mic, a wireless lav mic is so important. Um, I also think if you don't have money for lights, because investing in lights is, it's, it's an investment for a lot of people who can't drop like $1,700, um, use the sun to your advantage, you know, get a nice reflection board, get some sort of bead board or some sort of five in one reflector or something like that. But to be quite honest, I know so many DPs, like if you're, especially if you're interested in cinematography, I know so many DPs who don't own a single thing, who don't own a camera, who don't own a light, who don't own a mic. They're hired for their skills and their knowledge on how to use these things, not necessarily for the gear that they own. And uh, that's awesome, I think. That's really cool because then they can be camera agnostic. They don't have to use their red Komodo on everything. They can use whatever, they can rent whatever they want as long as they're proficient in it or whatever's best for the project. That's how I work a lot because I have my Sony, but for almost every project that I do, I rent the camera based on what the project is and whether I need certain things for the camera to do. Uh, yeah. And I think that's something that our, uh, us like solo operator owner operator types forget is the context of how often on bigger projects like that, everything's a rental. It's like you're including your lenses and, and on yep. um, being so focused on that can really distract you. And, and to your point of like using the sun, something I think I've always spent too little time learning is how, how much, of like a perceived budget you can get by understanding scouting and time of day and scheduling, like literally just being, okay, like here's our shot list. We need to shoot in this direction in the morning. And then when we're going to flip it around noon, because at noon it's going to suck. So we're going to shoot our, um, you know, things that we can maybe flag off and then we're going to reverse it as the sun goes down. Like I just didn't understand that until I now like, you know, it took a long time to figure that out. That is so important. I always do a scout. I always bust out my photo pills app. I do the AR. I check the position of the sun. I'm exactly like you said, I'm like, we're going to shoot this first here, this, this afternoon. It's also like, you have to keep daylight savings time in mind. You have to keep um, like sunset in mind. You have to also like, I, I just, I prefer scouting everything myself because if the producer scouts in and sends me photos, I'm just like, what? Like, are there beams that I can clamp to on the ceiling? Or do I have to like bring in some sort of rod uh, system? Do I, are are there enough power outlets and are are they all on the same line? Can, how, how many Watts can I plug into this thing? Do I need to bring batteries? Do I need to bring generators? It's so important to do a scout. I feel like, yeah, it's just incredibly. And I also always bring my camera, um, like my my A7S III with me and my zoom lens that's like 28 to 135 so that I can, I can approximate the angles and then I'll take photos on set of the way that it looks like. And then I'll actually draw my storyboards on top of those photos on my iPad. So people like already kind of see okay, this is where the person will be. This is what the the setting look like. Okay. Well, okay. I have a practical question in terms of scouting, and then we're going to turn to some of the questions from the chat, but do you charge for scouting? And what if the client wants to cut it? Because this is actually something we've run into sometimes like, okay, we have like a a scout day rate that we sort of are saying like, yeah, you really should do this because we think we need to scout. And so often the lower budget stuff like, well, 
we don't really think you need to scout. So like for you, do you just do it anyway? Do people not mind paying for it? Or do you just insist that it's built into the rate? I, it depends. A lot of times, like I just did a, um, I just did a, like a second unit on a big commercial. And for that one, I wasn't paid for the scout, but I needed to scout it. Um, absolutely critical scout for me. So that was really important. Most of the time I just throw it in because it's, if it's in LA, I just, you know, I consider that just lost time, which is totally fine. Cause it's, it's part of my job. It's part of what I do. It's part of who I am. It's part of why people hire me as opposed to the next person. So yeah, I don't really charge for scouts. I would love to, but it's not where I am. Right. That's just not my life. In. So yeah, turning to chat questions. Um, Eamon asks, uh, could I become a good videographer without studying filming, filmmaking at school, since it's really difficult to get the right instructions for free? Um, did you go to film school? I did not. Did not. Me neither. So there's a, there's a very quick answer to it. So yeah, I mean, like I, you know, I learned through doing it. Uh, and I think a lot of people now do as well. So I don't know, to me, to me, film school is like, if you have a hard time uh, teaching yourself stuff without structure around it. Um, you know, it can be hard to, right. it can be hard to work from home. It can be hard to focus. It can be hard to make friends. Um, you know, film school can introduce you to like-minded people, give you some frameworks to learn this stuff, but the people that become good at it are the people that are going to get obsessed with it anyway. So, but also in that question, they asked what, what are the right instructions? There's no such thing. There's no such thing as right instructions if I were to go to film school and listen to those people, I would not be where I am because it's like, Oh, you can either be a cinematographer or an editor or a director. You can't be everything. And I'm like, well, screw that. Like I can be everything if I want to. And I will be. And I am. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No. And I also think you're going to end up getting completely different advice from whoever you talk to. And sometimes, sometimes there's like opposing advice from really skilled people that both of those different pieces of advice are true. It's like people will give you contradicting career advice and they both can work. Um, It just like, it depends on your path and on your technique. Yeah. Also take what we're saying with a grain of salt, because neither of us went to film school. Whereas a person who did go to film school probably tell you about all the great things that they learned in film school. So exactly. Yeah, totally. All right. What film shows have you liked in the past recently from Zuma? Uh, what What are you into lately, Valentina? Oh gosh, the only show I watch right now is RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> yeah, my wife I've too. Been, she, I, so I don't, I don't see it on screen that much, but I hear hours of it. So like all of the catchphrases are constantly yeah. stuck in my head. Well, because there, there are hours of it. Like there's, I think there's like five hours of RuPaul's Drag Race every week that's happening. Um, I just don't have time right now to watch anything. Like I don't even have time to watch YouTube videos at this point. Um, but my favorite movie is Call Me by Your Name by Luca Guadagnino. And, uh, yo, what's, yeah, I don't, maybe we should just end this interview. Cause I don't really have anything to talk to you about <laughs> anymore. That's what I'm saying. And circle back um, after. No, no, it's just, it's just a beautiful, it's a beautiful film. Uh, it's not one of those that's like fast paced and has like a ton of plot. It's definitely like a slow simmer. Um, but they shot that entire movie on one camera and one lens. Can you guess which focal length that lens was? 40 millimeters on a full frame it was a 35 i was guessing that because of uh 1917 because that was 40 on an lf so that was on my that was my like basis okay. yeah 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 so, no, it, was, but, it was a 35 which is which is literally i know you're not supposed to have like a favorite focal length but i love the 35 that was like my first lens i got really used to it just walking back and forth for close-ups for wides and i still to this day i'm like always gravitating towards it. I know you're not supposed to have one, whatever, but you know, again, like fuck the rules, right? Who cares? Yeah. I mean, the, the filmmakers much better than me are completely breaking all of these rules. Like, m- you know, most of the most interesting filmmakers are like breaking one rule in a really interesting way. So, um, and yeah, I, I've been trying to catch up. I, I realized at the end of 2020 that I watched almost no movies because yeah. I see most of my movies in the theater. Like that is, is I, yes. I, I just love theaters like cinema. Yes. That's the thing for me. And I think part of it connects to that. I, I focus on movies at home much worse. 
the, the fact that you're forced to sit down, like this movie's going to keep playing, whether you go to the bathroom and check your phone or not. Um, so you might want to keep sitting in your seat. What, meanwhile, at home, it's like, I, I was watching a few things lately that it took me like three nights to watch it in chunks because my email was going off or whatever. So I've been trying to watch more at home. And this month it's been going through all of the Paul Thomas Anderson movies I hadn't seen before, starting with Boogie okay. Nights, which I had never seen and is uh, essential viewing, I was told, and now I see why. Um, and something that drove me crazy after watching it was finding out that he was 27 years old when he directed it. And it does not look like it was made by somebody in their 20s. Um, so yeah, I've just been trying to catch that. up. Yeah, put it on there. I mean, now, I, yeah, I get why everybody's telling me to see it. Just in just in terms of filmmaking, like, there's nothing really specific. Like, there's no specific moment. It's like, oh, yeah, it, like, it's gonna blow your mind. Just like watch the subtleties and just like the small moments and the ways that things can be weird and that like that that strangeness and unnaturalness can just like feel so right for the universe that's being built for you. Um, so yeah, Boogie Nights, The Master is the last one that I watched. Um, what's the next one? I, I got to watch uh, Inherent Vice next. So, uh, but I don't have time for shows. I just rewatched Cabaret, uh, which I didn't I didn't remember how weirdly that was edited. That they'll just like splice. Like a like a person's eye for like two seconds in the middle of a scene, and right. you're like, I don't. What is this? What is this? Why is this happening? I okay. All right. Do you have like a, a thing that you're like watching for the most when you're watching? Like, are you watching the cinematography the most, or are you watching like thinking about directing or editing or like? I I tend to watch cinematography the most. Actually, I just I do movie nights. I had my second movie night on Twitter Spaces. The first one was on Clubhouse, and we watched Kung Fu Hustle. And that was really, really fun because uh, me and just like five people just nerded out about cinematography. I watched it on Netflix Party. So I had the pause controls. So I would like pause, rewind 10 seconds, be like, okay, so watch the shadow of this cat and how it gets cut in half. And that's how you know that the cat's been murdered. And yeah, it was really, um, I can't watch movies anymore, to be honest, without completely ruining it. I don't remember the last movie yeah. that I was really really like into the story and paid attention to and got lost in um does it actually ruin it like does it feel frustrating or it does it, no it's like super there frustrating. can be fun to it as well sometimes okay yeah <laughs> it's super fr no like it's super frustrating because i i want to go back to ignorant me sometimes mm -hmm. who doesn't see all of the tricks who doesn't realize that oh in the close-up they added a hair light you know, but you, it's just inherent now at this point. And it's just like, I can't enjoy a single movie. I can't delve into a single story. That's why RuPaul's Drag Race is so great because it's a reality show. I mean, not that real, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not anything specific to cinematography and I can sort of turn my brain off and enjoy it. But during the pandemic, I've also realized that I've, I've watched very, very few movies because when you work from home and I mean, I've worked from home for what over a decade now um you just always have something to do you always have work to do i work 24 7 seven days a week so when like when you're watching a movie you just feel guilty because you have an edit due or you have to do pre-pro on a project or this client is waiting for you to email them or this client is waiting for your invoice and this client is waiting for you know and i have like anywhere between eight and 20 clients at any one time so it just feels really bad and guilty to sit down and watch something unless this is the way that it was in the past, unless it's with a friend, which is why I loved going to movies. Cause I'll just call a friend. We'll go to the movie theater. I don't feel guilty because now it's friend time and I'm like giving yeah. my time to someone else. Next up, James asks, what's the best way to pitch video concepts to clients? So, um, so there's something interesting about that question that assumes that you're, you're pitching it to the client. Yes. I was just about to say yeah, you, well, what, what does that make you think? What's your response to that? Well, I was just going to ask you if you pitch to clients because I don't. Clients come to me. I, I don't remember the last time I pitched something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think of pitching as like it, something you do early in your career. So it's like it's not it's not at all a bad thing. Like pitching pitching can be how you get certain types of jobs that are unavailable to you when you don't have a body of work to get in the door. Um, but the the goal is is definitely to get to a point where like you're just not really worrying about it anymore and um yeah typically clients are coming to us and then we're trying to find a solution for whatever their yes. problem is um exactly but you know like 
what will happen sometimes is a client will come with, they, they know they want to, it's kind of like what you're saying of like, um, you know, they just know that they, they need a video and they don't really know what the video is. That still happens with us sometimes. And it's like, they, they're kind of looking for a concept as well. So sometimes it's like the, the client will approach us first, but then we'll pitch back like, okay, well, here's, here's a concept right. that we could execute really well in the budget range that you've specified. So, yeah, I had the same thing. I, that's, that's, that's how it happens where a client's like, this is what we want. And then you sort of mold the creative around it. I just did a campaign for a new beauty brand and they weren't like too sure what they wanted. They just knew that they wanted a website video. They wanted a launch video. They wanted some, some concept stuff. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's narrow it down because usually clients, they ask for the moon and they want this and this and this and that. And then they give you the budget and you're like, I mean, let's see what we can accomplish. And I never say that we can't do something. I let the budget do the talking for me. So I'll make a budget based on their ideal. And then I'll always make a plan B budget and a plan C budget. And I'll be like, listen, we can't get, uh, we can't get a thousand people and 20 school buses, but we can get a hundred people and two school buses and use a motorized arm to duplicate the camera movement and then scooch those hundred people back and then build like an entire build a thousand people. But the motorized arm is going to cost this much. It still be cheaper than paying, you know, a thousand salaries, but it's still going to be really expensive because it comes with an operator or plan C is like, let's get them dirty in the foreground and not, have the school buses, you know, and then usually the client's like, oh, we don't have budget for any of that. So let's just go with plan C. (laughs) Or sometimes I'll be like, you know what, Um, this like, if it's like a a multi day shoot, or a like a multi week shoot or something, something similar, I'll be like, let's just film a backup, be like, let's film a backup. And then I throw the backup in the edit. And then I show it to the client and the client's like, oh, this works. I'm like, great. And I think it's really common too, that the clients will come to you with no concept of what will consume the budget, right? Like what will be, what will be so difficult here? Really common example is like a great way to save money and time is like, how many locations do you have here in your script? Okay, well, let's cut all but two or all but one. (laughs) And all of a sudden it gets a whole lot cheaper because like transportation and multiple setups is like, it just kills your time. And sometimes um, clients will be like, let's shoot outside because then we yeah. don't need to have a studio. And I'm like, actually shooting outside is more expensive because you need permits from film LA. You need to, um, you, you still need lights trust. Cause you're, you're putting a uh, diffusion over the actual sun. You're bringing a fake sun in, but now you need generators. Like it's, it's actually a lot more expensive to shoot outside than you think it is. So how about we tweak that concept real quick? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, the, like, yeah, a lot of the time we'll end up, we're doing that this week actually, where they wanted to do sunlight. It was like, we, we just want like natural, beautiful, harsh sunlight. And we're like, well, we're going to try to see if that can happen, but the odds of there being a cloudy day are very high. So we're going to do it outside of a studio and we'll probably end up in the studio when we have this cloudy day. Cause it's spring right now. The cloudy day half the days are or cloudy. like some clouds, right? Where they're passing overhead and then you're just waiting for that cloud to pass. Okay, everybody, we have five minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's what Uh, makes it more expensive is now like you didn't finish in the day or you couldn't shoot any of it. Like the the, the last time we're shooting outside, it rained. It's like now you are on a, a second day. That's a lot more expensive than being able to control it. And, and so much of that can just go back to what the concept is in the first place. Um, so yeah. So another question for like how you work, um, are you, who's usually hiring you, um, on, on most of your projects? Like, uh, is it producers directly? Are you working with agencies? Um, like how do you end up finding most of your work right now? All of the above. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I just, I just got, um, I just got commercial representation as a director. Uh, so a lot of my future work is going to be coming through that agency, but, um, it's, it's all over the place. Honestly, I base it on like what I want to do, what's fun for me to do, what's something that's going to be enriching for me, whether it's meeting a new person who is 
who's going to teach me something new, meeting uh, someone who I've wanted to meet, going to a new place. And then I sort of like base my content calendar on that. I have some recurring clients like Aperture, like Adobe on a, on a weekly or monthly basis, um, which are like short things, which is really good to have if you're freelance to have just like recurring clients. I have a little bit of um, income coming from my moment course on how to shoot professional interviews, just like a tiny bit of income, not that much, but yeah, uh, it's really hard. I don't think people realize how hard it is to be, you know, a, a production company owner uh, because I hire employees too. Like I hire people, I hire producers, I hire wardrobe artists, makeup artists. Um, I hire uh, dancers, choreographers. Like I have to pay all of them. I have to run billing. I have to do all this stuff. People don't realize like in the 80% of my time is spent like running my own business. Yeah, no, I mean that that's like the classic freelancer story is you'd think that you're going to have all this free time. You think that being your own boss is, yeah, I mean, a lot more of it is like suddenly you're a manager rather than a, 100%. Uh, you know, spending your time doing what you love to do. And a lot of it is not necessarily securing the job because I get so many, so many people reach out to me and everybody wants to work with me. It's, it's saying no to jobs because you've already said yes to something else and you can only stretch yourself so far stretch yourself so thin. Yeah. So David is also asking any tips on staying on task and organized when you're overloaded with different types of jobs. Oh man. You asked I'd the love wrong for person, you to give me a tip. Me. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm the, I'm the, I've, I've done a few videos lately on how disorganized I am, like specifically on how is it that I even have a career when I'm as bad at staying organized as possible. Um, and like the, the unhelpful part of my answer my is, right now. <laughs> Yeah, the unhelpful part of my answer is, well, for one, I don't end up being that organized. Um, and then I have a business partner that is more organized than me, helps a lot, like, which is not a, that's not a helpful answer. Cause like, you can't just assume that you're going to be able to go out there and um, have somebody kind of keep track of things if you're not that great at it. But it's a bit of the truth for me is it's really part of, of how I um, am able to do that. But uh, it can mean like offloading some of the, um, the things that you know require a lot of staying on the ball. Um, so, you know, that may mean, uh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. like it, it may mean like if you're a one man show that like maybe the editing is really bogging you down. So maybe you're deciding like, okay, I can't handle all of that myself. So I'm going to get somebody to at least do like, um, to prep the footage for me or do like the, the really the messy part of it, or I'm going to have assistants come in when I need to move my own gear. And this is, I'm talking all in terms of sort of single operator kind of things, like find places where you can focus a bit more because your time hasn't disappeared by these, these things that can just totally consume you. And, um, it's not necessarily, you're, you're not the only person that could do it. You know, somebody else can help you with some of those things. Um, so try to find those. Unless you are the only person you can do it, and then you're overloaded with things that only you can do. Like, I, uh, a lot of times when I direct stuff that will eventually not see the light of day beyond social media, I'll offload that to other editors because I don't need to be editing cut downs. I just, that is not like that my time is too valuable. So right. I, I'll offload that to other editors, um, but then I'll fill that time with things that are not you know, are, are my level. And then I'll just be overloaded on that. I have, I, I stay on the ball with, um, GCAL with asking my clients, how high priority is this by letting people know, uh, when I'm going to be done with things. I, I try to ask for deadlines as much as possible and like stepped deadlines. So I'm like, okay, when do you need draft one by, okay, when are you going to do that revision? Um, and I also try to be extremely communicative and I, and annoying, honestly, like right. I'm always texting yeah. everyone and I'm like, Hey, um, just to let you know, like, uh, I started working on this an hour ago, but it's going to be like another three hours before I can send it to you and just like on the ball. But as far as like, as a person, I'm highly disorganized. I have a giant bow in front of me on my table next to a card reader next to a hard drive from 2001 next to a theta cam that i've never used before 
next to a moment lens 58 millimeter but the moment case is nowhere to be found next to a hairbrush and sunglasses case like i don't why is this all here no one knows I'd show you what's on my table, except it's all cables, and I'm afraid if I moved any of them, this whole stream would fall apart. <laughs> so, right? Uh, yeah, no, I, know, I totally know the feeling. It's just like, I, and, and you know, it's a comment I've had before is that it's like, oh no, it looks like you're pretty organized. And it's like, well, yeah, because that's like clean up behind the camera. Like that's the easy part. Right. That's what Boca's for. Um, but, right. You know, it's it's actually it's actually a disaster back there. So. Um, I think what, what's important is that we're all disasters and I think it's important to acknowledge that because on social media, everything looks so flawless and fabulous. It's like, no, I'm actually like before, like when we got on this call right before we went live, um, Tyler watched me put my makeup on like, (laughs) and my, and my microphone fell off of the, I, I, I realized I need to buy a whole new mic stand right as we were starting yeah, disasters. Yeah, it's held up us. by paper clips and a dream. <laughs> spit, spit and hope. Uh, I have uh, okay. I have one more question uh, that directly relates to what we both do. Do you ever find it challenging to? So, which part of what we're doing here is like teaching techniques? You know, through YouTube, uh, teaching about te- te- technology, about gear, about methods of, of filmmaking. Do you ever find it hard to to, to balance between? having like staying up to date with things enough to like have something really relevant to tell people and just working on your filmmaking. Cause it's something I've been thinking about lately is like, I don't want to be like so circular in, in the videos that I produce that it's just like, I'm making a video using a technique and I'm teaching you about the thing that I'm doing in this video. And then I do that again in the next video, like, uh, you know, just trying to find this, like there's actual storytelling growth happening, not just this, like I'm making YouTube's videos about the YouTube videos that I'm making. I don't know. Do you ever end up in that? You're doing slightly different stuff, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I go from, I, I start off with, at least for cinematography tutorials, I start off with what's something that I want to shoot. What's like a cool concept that I actually want to shoot. And then I go from there. So I think of it less in terms of what am I teaching and more in terms of what's what's, uh, entertaining for people to watch. Because I learned from all of the makeup videos that I did in the past is that they were technically all the same. It was the same eyeliner technique. You can only have so many techniques for putting on eyeliner and lipstick and blush. It was essentially the same video over and over and over again but they were ed- they were entertaining like you just want to watch your favorite person who teaches that yeah, thing sure. teach that thing again so it's just in a different package so that's kind of what i think um of and also people just don't care like they're i don't have anybody who's watching all my videos back to back to back so they may show up to one video and see a tip about c stands that I've shared in like three other videos, but it's their first time seeing that tip and it changes their right. life. Yeah. Right. So yeah. for me, it doesn't yeah. matter. Every day for the there's editing somebody born tutorial. that not seen the Flintstones. Exactly. And for the editing tutorials, I'm like, you know, I just assume that every single person who watches any of my editing tutorials, this is the first editing tutorial they've ever seen. So I, yeah. I try to go f- as basic as possible. Yeah, no, it's totally a safe bet. And I probably shouldn't get so inside my head about, exactly what's coming out in each of them because like for for me the the goal is so often to like fill the gap that i the gap of knowledge that i wish was filled earlier for me like things that like why did it take me so long to figure this out well hopefully i can get it to somebody else sooner than it got to me i also think that you shouldn't compare yourself to other people who are are doing this on youtube because uh again like the makeup thing there's there's so many beauty beauty influencers beauty youtubers and people might like the way that you explain it more than the next person or they might like the way that you your personality the way that you do it more than somebody else so i i feel like a lot of people who are making videos on youtube they're like well someone's already made that video i won't make that video it's like no make that video i'll be interested in the way that you talk about it i don't care about so and so totally yeah 
Yeah, same goes for uh, like I've been watching and listening to more movie podcasts, watching movie like video essays, stuff like that. Oh, very. This. And yeah, it's so much like I'll watch fifteen about the same movie, and I just want the one from movies with Mikey, or like you know, I want them from the people that I'm into. Uh, I want their specific take on it, and I'll watch everything that they <laughs> that the internet will give me as long as it's something that I'm interested in. So yeah, I I think yeah. you're right. I'm just trying to find peace with how I approach it, but um. I think you've been right about a lot of stuff, Valentina. So again, thanks for me. coming on. I super appreciate chatting. Um, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, Valentina V, Instagram, Valentina.V, TikTok, Valentina underscore V. Randomly, my biggest social media is TikTok. Oh, well done. Are you are you like serious? About, like, do you try to TikTok or does it just come no, down? You just try post to occasionally TikTok. and it blows up. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't posted a TikTok in two months. And prior to that, it was a month. And prior to that, it was a month. So what's do, your favorite social network? Like, what do you enjoy spending time on? Twitter. Twitter is yeah, my favorite here. social network. I, yeah. it's just so dumb. The thing that, the reason I think most of my friends in real life don't get Twitter is like Twitter shifts once you have a community. Like when there are yes. people responding and there's conversation happening, it becomes wonderful. Like it's great. But I think the early experience when you don't know about Twitter, you haven't really used it, um, is very quiet. You know, when you comment, nobody responds, and like you don't know who to follow, and you don't know you don't you don't know what you don't know how to Twitter. Um, so it takes it, it's like a slow burn, and then it's yeah, same here. It's it's what I enjoy spending time on the most now that you know yeah. I've been on there forever. So you can have full conversations in the replies. It's not like Instagram where it's like whatever. Um, and you're right. It's the community aspect of it. It's the fact that I can tweet a meme about like Lutz and then have like a full conversation about it with random mm -hmm. people who I've never seen before or met before or even heard of before. And then we connect and then we become friends. And I've made so many friends through Twitter that it's insane. Like, I feel like they're my real life friends until I meet them and then they stab me and then I die. But, you know, <laughs> get to see <laughs> All right. Well, uh, hopefully everybody come find her on Twitter and don't stab her and uh, we'll have a good time. <laughs> but, but yeah, thanks again, Valentina. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see you on Twitter. I'll see you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs>